number one independent podcast company in the fucking world. It's bomb. Black opinions matter. The other M stands for motherfucker. My name is Amino Hassan. I'm joined as always by Big Jerv and Black Train. We got a special guest today, man. I've known this guy since before he had, since before he was on Spotify. I've known this guy since before his music was playing during the NBA Finals on the ABC broadcast. I've known this guy since he was just a dusty-ass hooper coming to the Suns gym, playing pickup, talking mad shit, and not really doing much on the court, but talking mad shit. My guy, DJ Bamboozle. What's up, bro? Thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate you guys. What a what an introduction. <laughs> Yo, before before we get started, I told you you're going to get to plug early and plug off and plug the track, man. It played man. during the ABC broadcast during the NBA Finals, man. Well... First of all, if you're not on Tidal, iTunes, Spotify, Show Me Your Heart is on all digital streaming platforms. Go check it out. Um, should be number one in a couple weeks, right? We keep pumping it. We keep plugging it all throughout the million, podcast. Until we get to a million. Uh, it, it, it's a funny story. Bamboozles is one of the biggest DJs on a scene. Um I, I like I, I told him a story of landing in Vegas for summer league and I'm on my way from McCarran back to my hotel. And, you know, when you go, they got those billboards of like Donny Osmond at the da da da, like Britney Spears, Red and, Red and see da da da, Tiesto at this. And then I saw his fucking mug bamboozle with his arms crossed with a smug smile on his face, DJ Bamboozle. And I was like, what in the world? What has happened, man? Like, I'll never forget that day because that was the day where I was like, what's going on, man? I felt like I was getting punked that day, bro. No, we here. We here now. They should have never let me in. I'm here. They should have ne- <laughs> never. All right. So yeah. I, I want to give people a little background. I mean, we're going to take away the mystique, right? Everyone knows you as this hot DJ out there in the streets doing Vegas residencies, doing the uh, the Lakers championship uh, party and stuff like that, being in the bubble. I'm going to take these people. I'm going to rip away all the mystique, man. You're not a superstar no more. You, you're my buddy, Jeremy. Right. I met Jeremy 11 years ago. Something like like 2009, right? Yeah. And at the time, we had just traded for Jared Dudley in Phoenix. And so, you know, Jared's from San Diego. And so he had his boys and and his family members, they used to start coming to Suns games because San Diego's a hop, skip, and a jump away. And it was, the main dudes were, were, it was AJ, who played at the University of Arizona, it was Rafiq, it was you, and then it was Frank, right? Right. Those are the, the, core, the core four right there. Right. And so we started hanging out because Phoenix was such a weird situation, which I later learned that wasn't what, that's not what NBA teams are mostly like. Most of the time, NBA teams, the family room, everybody got their own little cliques and nobody really kind of interacts you know like the one player's family and friends they hanging out over here the other player family and friends they hanging over here in phoenix our family room was weird in that the family members of all the players and even my family members my cousin Ahmed, we like we all hung out it was like a real close-knit thing and it was outside of whether the, the team was in town or not we would just all became friends and so in that time period and i'm gonna let you say it right now that's when you started to dj trying right. trying to learn how to dj right and so, i want you to tell that story of how how you decided you wanted to do this and what that process looked like right so at the time i was in college i dropped out and you know if you're familiar with the black family or any kind of culture family when you drop out of college it means either you're going to jail soon or <laughs> you ain't got nothing popping and for me, I already had a plan what I was going to do. And I didn't want to be like most athletes, friends, and like uh, just have an entourage around that were doing nothing. And they were just taking care of them. You know, you see those houses where they got five dudes in one house, but one guy's in the master bedroom. Everybody else is in there trying to get girls in there, and they want to go out every weekend. I don't want to be that. I wanted to be a, like a pioneer and blaze my own trail. So I decided to uh, I decided to start DJing and practicing every single day. So... I had told uh, my boy Jared, hey, if there's an opportunity, like, put me on so I can just do my own thing. 
And actually, it uh, happened to be like a, a night in Sacramento. They were playing it back-to-back. They stayed over the night. And uh, it was raining so hard, and the other DJ didn't show up. And I was up there visiting my mom, who was a dean of a, a college up there, Sacramento State. Oh, damn. And Dropping out definitely definitely. Her she was already mad at me for being a dean of education, and then her own son is dropping out of college. So it was all bad. I was trying to take her to the game the next night, or the night of. So I go to the uh, the nightclub. The DJ doesn't even show up. But uh, Nash, Steve Nash, Grant Hill, and Amari, they, they were outside, and they wanted to go somewhere, and there was no DJ there. So I brought my DJ stuff, and I went. And nobody showed up the whole night except for them and my boy Jared Dudley. So at the end of the night, Steve Nash was like, yo, you're not too bad. You know, like I'm having a champagne gala next week. You want to DJ it? I'm like, Mm. yeah, let's do it. So from there, it kind of started as as, as people laughing at me to being like, yo, this could be a real job for you. So before that champagne gala or gala, he put me in his vitamin water commercial. So he was doing a commercial. I remember that. Yeah, he was doing a commercial. <laughs> and I'm DJing in the commercial. So uh, after that, just things started to roll for me. And so every team that my best friend played for, we would not go out unless they would let me DJ. So this started with Suns. He got traded to the Clippers. He went to the Wizards. He went to the Bucks, Brooklyn Nets, and now the Lakers. So every star, every teammate, I just got cool with and I would do all their birthday parties and it allowed me to kind of blaze my own trail and do my own thing. The the cool thing that I think you did early on was the team would be on the road and they would contact whatever the local promoter, the local club or whatever, say, yo, we're going to come through. We're going to bring Steve Nash. We're going to bring Grant Hill. We're going to bring Amari Stoudemire, but our guy got a DJ and you got to comp him a couple of bottles, da, da, da. I mean, that 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 was, obviously, that was the move. But the good thing that you did, I remember you told me this early, is that you would get their contact info. Right. And so afterward, in the off-season or during a time where, you you know, you weren't with the team, you could always go back and book future gigs. Yes. And that's why, like, this is the last nice thing I want to say about you, uh, Jeremy. But, <laughs> but, like, that was the smartest shit ever because that's what took you from... I'm part of the Suns or whatever team Jared was on to right. no, I'm my own person. I am my own creating my own business, exactly. creating my own opportunities. Exactly. And that's what I think really blew you up is that you became return business for all these spots on your own. Right. And, and that really helped you. Yeah. And it gave me some kind of collateral for my own. Cause once I became somewhat of a good DJ, cause I was a terrible DJ in the first couple of months. I'm not even. Gonna I'm, about to tell, I'm about to tell I that story terrib- in a second. I'll, I'll go wait. <laughs> I was terrible, but it allowed me to come back and have some kind of collateral. Like, yo, if you don't book me here, you know that NBA season is coming or wrong. So do not hit us in January or February when we come back on the road trip to these cities to try to book us. Cause I'm gonna make sure these guys don't come and provide a leverage for me. Cause I cultivated relationships with them, and they were really rocking with me. It wasn't like, hey post my song or wear my t-shirt or wear my hat. It was like, yo, how you doing? How's things going on in the off season? Blah, blah, blah. And we were going on vacations. We were doing everything all together, all the teammates. And so when I became to be a good DJ, it was like I had my own thing going. And so sometimes I couldn't even be on the road with them because I would be in Vegas or I'd be in LA or I'd be in Bali or I'd be in Australia. So uh, it worked out for me. I just want to say congratulations on making it out of uh, Entourage University. I yes. am I am I am also an alumni <laughs> of Entourage <laughs> University, man. Uh, some sink and swim, bro. You get cut off. You uh you you ride the wheels till the wheels fall off. When AKA they get a family and yeah. move on without you, or uh or you make it out and you right. you you make you make a career for yourself. So you know That's respect to that. <laughs> so. So I'm, I'm going to tell one of the stories, man. I, it was San Diego training camp. And I'll never forget to say, hey, Bamboozle DJing. We, got, we all got to go. We all got to support, right? So it's a middle training camp. We all come out as a team. And we went. I can't even remember where the spot was. I want to say it was Pacific Beach. Yeah, Pacific but, Beach. Moondoggies, Pacific yeah, Beach. Yeah. <laughs> Yo, all I remember was earlier that night, we went to some spot and we got drinks. And I was, you know, I... Because at this time, I'm, I'm young. I'm working for the team. So you do a lot of gopher shit. So oh, let me go get the drink. So I ordered, hey, let me get two Hennessy's, da-da-da, three Grey Goose, da-da-da-da-da-da. And 
So I said, what's the tab? And the bartender's like, $22. It's like, $22? Because it was like three for one night or something. I was like, I got that. It was the first time I ever said, I got the bill on this one. I paid for it. So then we went, and then we went to the, the spot, and Bamboozle was up there, and he was setting up, and he was DJing. And, bro, um, when I tell you it was bad, y'all remember that video of, like, Carl Lewis singing the national anthem, and Derek Coleman yes. got his... Yeah, same over thing. His face. Stackhouse singing the singing the national anthem as yeah. well. That's exactly how we were, man. Like it was so bad, it was funny, man. It wasn't even like this DJ's whack. It was like, yo, my nigga's terrible, man. So, so you had but, the you had the Instagram honey um transitions. I had the, the glow up, <laughs> crazy glow up, crazy glow up. Because I remember, I remember the next time, and it's the same thing. Like, oh, I'm gonna go support, and but then like when I. When you got on, I was like, yo, he got better. It right. was, you know where it was? It was, what was that spot? Jackrabbits. Jackrabbits. It was Jack, Jackrabbits in Old Town Scottsdale, yeah. I remember going and getting ready, like, yo, watch this. And I'm like, yo, that was good, man. And then, like, it just kept going and going. And then, you know, obviously, like I said, one day I'm coming from the airport in Vegas, and I see the billboard, and I saw your face, and I was like, the fuck is going on, man? It really kind of just blew my mind, man. But, but shouts to you and your journey, bro. So before we get into some music questions, and remember, what's what's the name of the track again? Show Me Your Heart? Show you Me Your catch Heart. It. Yeah, Show Me Your Heart. Wherever you stream music. For, before we get into a music conversation, I did want to ask you, you you were, obviously, Jared was at the Lakers, won the championship, and right. the team was partying in, in Vegas, and it was closed. It wasn't an, like a usual year where you just right. show up to you know, uh, marquee or whatever. And then like the whole club is going crazy because the Lakers are there. It was a, a private event. So what was that like that whole, you know, the bubble experience and then going into like the celebration afterwards. Right. So the bubble, there's two bubbles. There were the bubble where all the players were and anybody that quarantined for seven days could go to the bubble and watch the games from the floor. And then there's a second bubble. You had Jenny Buss, Linda Rambis, Pat Riley, Mickey, uh, everybody from the network's media staying in the second bubble. No quarantine, but you had to take a COVID test every single day. That was like the difference between a private jet and like a halfway house. Southwest. <laughs> it was crazy because it's like we're staying at the ward off. Everybody's there. You know, we're chilling. And then you go to the games at night. They take you there. And you're kind of sitting in the nosebleeds, but you can see you can see the game. Um, we stayed. I stayed there for 10 days. Um in hopes of that they would win game four, game five, game five at the time. So we're all planning game five for them to win, which is hilarious. We're all saying, oh, we're going to fly to Miami. We got this going on. We're going to book this. Everyone's ready. And I'm thinking to myself, like, fellas, we should finish our breakfast first, you know, before we pick up stands. <laughs> like, nah, it's over, you know? And I was like, all right, cool. Go to the game. I don't even pack my stuff because I'm thinking, like, I just don't think they're going to win. You know what I mean? I want them to win, but I just don't think they're going to win. Uh, and this is the Lakers, of course. And so they lose, you know, the next game. Nobody's talking about any celebrations. They're just all locked in. No one's answering their phone before we're playing Call of Duty. Nobody else wants to play video games anymore. And so game six, they win. And we stay in Orlando. We go uh, to the three bridges on on like the on the campus of uh, Walt Disney. It's very, very family oriented, I would say. And so the next weekend we fight in Las Vegas, you know, and Las Vegas is closed. But when you're with the Lakers, nothing is closed. And they did everything private. They did everything very social distance. Uh, we had COVID tests when we got there. And we partied like I've never seen before. Who, orga who organized this? If I could tell you that I I could tell you. but Oh, it's a secret? Oh, <laughs> it's, man. It's a secret. So I can't even lie to you. But I will say that um, Randy, the chief of staff for LeBron James, he was a very yeah. useful part of it. Uh, he planned it to the T. I've never seen anything like it. 100% uh, social distance, um, private. Everything was very, very clean. Everything was amazing. Yeah. That's what's up, man. That's what's that's crazy. I just always think about, like, who who puts that shit together? Right. It's not just like, yo, we, yo you want to go? Let's go. Someone's got to be on the phone and organizing all that stuff. And, and that's, I can't imagine how much work that is right now with COVID going I mean, on. A lot of get work. All that done. MGM, shout out to MGM. They helped out a lot. They had us all in the mansions there. Uh, the Lakers also helped a lot. But if anyone has been to Las Vegas, you have friends in Las Vegas. You have right. 
we have all kinds of stuff in Las Vegas. Whatever you want to do in Las Vegas, it's possible. And, and like you said, Vegas is very much a Lakers town. Like I, I right. literally remember a summer, a summer league of me getting into every single spot simply by just waiting to find this, the one security guy who recognized me and says, why are you always hating on the Lakers? And then I just give him a 15 minute quick episode of the jump. Like, hey, man, Lakers, this Lakers, that, da, da, da. What do you think they can do? Well, I think I like this, da, 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 da. And then at the end of it, like, all right, man, how many you got with you? Right. I just me and these two right here, and we in. Like, that's all I had to do was just give them Lakers talk for 15 minutes, and we were good. I know you, so, your, your boys don't know this, but Amin thought he was going to be the GM of the Suns for a long time, right? I, I never <laughs> wanted to be GM, bro. I never I never wanted to be GM. I wanted, You know what I thought I was going to be? What? I thought I was going to be, uh, like, director of player personnel or maybe even assistant GM, maybe assistant oh, GM. assistant GM. You thought, this, right? So, bro, I thought I was going to do that for like 20 years. I thought I'd be there forever. If anybody yeah. gives a problem to me when he comes to hear me DJ now, his thing is now, because he's so popular and famous now, I'm going to light their ass up on Twitter. Don't worry. I'm like, oh, okay. These bouncers don't care. Yes. <laughs> yes. But, but when yes. he walks so in I've, now. I've had experience with Amin before. Oh, yeah. We were, yeah. In, oh, we're, in old, we're in Old Town, bro, and we got called the N-word. Oh. And then what was it, cake? Cake, yeah. Yeah, we didn't get in cake, bro. And like Amin had on Jordans, and he was like, man, I hate to do this. So he goes to the guy, he's like, yo, I'm Amin Hassan from uh, ESPN. And the dude was like, I don't give a fuck. And he was like, oh, well, we wasn't even really tripping off of that. But the thing is, is when we walked away, he like made the slur. And then we were like, yeah. oh, wow. Yeah. Old yeah. Town Band from here on out. <laughs> For sure. Then we, sure. then we went to International. And we got a table. <laughs> of course, you know. But, you know, if it was 10 years ago, it'd be uh, Revolver. Oh, for sure. oh yeah! You guys, guys are seasoned. You guys are seasoned thoughts. All right, so how, the music. How how do you okay? How, this transition to going from I'm DJing. I, I'm, I've got residency in Vegas. I'm doing these parties, whatever. Now I'm creating my own music. How did that transition happen? Man, you guys know any DJ is a producer. You know, at, at heart, whether it is any DJ that you know when they came up. They had some kind of production credits. If it means them making a beat, if that means them writing the song, it's a proper transition to actual DJing at clubs to getting into your producer bag. Dr. Dre is uh, known for doing that. And uh, I started during the pandemic. I said, hey, how can I create music for myself? I've always wanted to make that jump. The nightclubs had closed. Um, I had saved a coin for myself. So I knew I could reach out to like uh, artists. I wrote the song. I produced the song myself. And I had a team help me out. And then we reached out to uh, DistroKid where you can put your song out um, independently and do your own thing. So you don't need uh, Def Jam. You don't need Universal. Right. You don't need all these people. So once I got the song done uh, and the pandemic hit, I was not DJing for eight months. I put the song out the night that the uh, Lakers won the championship. And they heard it, so they picked it up on all their uh, networks. And that's when they started playing it. So it was a good chance for me. There, there you go. All right, so let's get into some of these music conversations that we've been having right before uh, we started recording. The first one we were talking about was, this was just actually just a conversation in the group chat about, I guess, Benny the Butcher said, don't compare me to to Pusha T. Well, no, and he we just said, he said, don't compare me to any other niggas. He didn't really say no right. names. It was he never said Pusha's name? Yeah, it was the fans' banter of like, you know, um you know, Pusha's push run, his debuts and all that other stuff compared to Benny's first three. And Benny's been on fire, like pretty much smoking shit. But right. is it, and this is for you, Bamboozle, is it a prisoner of the moment situation or is Benny really like that? Now, myself, Jerv, Waz, we all like you know, push a T, but then, you know, you look at Benny, who's really smoking shit right now, right? right? And you look in the scenario of, is Benny really better than him right now? Or just, you know, obviously, that's just like saying, we just had a conversation about AD being better than the, the power forwards who've been before him. And then when you talk about coke rap, is, is Benny elite? That's what I think what people were really discussing. Is he the best coke rapper right now? And I think we got we to gotta pump her brakes. We got to pump her brakes because Pusher is 
Pusher has done it for a long time, and he's almost batting a thousand when it comes to his projects. You know, being the butcher is amazing. I love his project that just came out, but we got to keep it real, fellas. Pusher, <laughs> he's doing things that he's been doing things for a long time, and I will say that battle with him and Drake, whatever way you want to go with it, is the fact that he got in a ring with him and held his own. You know what I mean? Most people don't get a chance to even do that. And Benny, he'll give it. He'll, he'll have his moment to show everybody. But I think we got to pump our brakes right now because he's not even a household name yet. He's dope. He's dope. And his project is could probably be a classic when we look back at it. But I don't know if he's better than Pusher. I can't. I can't give him that yet. I got the quotes, by the way, yeah. I mean. If you Go want ahead. me to share, all right. Talk so from from the from the uh, intellectual Haitian Wazni okay. Lambre. <laughs> Benny has already had a better solo career than Pusha. Oh, Thank God. Thank you. All right. I was wondering Here when we go. was going to expose Waz. Here we go. <laughs> then, then we had Mariano, a Benny apologist, said Benny's solo discog is insane. Like he hasn't missed on a verse since he came out on some Jadakiss shit. TT3, plugs, and now burden of proof. Boy. So. Uh, it was definitely one of those situations like, oh shit, if, if push it drops, but you know, like I said, I'm, I'm pro pusher. Like I can't, I'm on, I may, maybe, maybe pusher makes a better record, but Waz also said that Pusher's solo career hasn't, has been a disappointment. We probably can say, thank that thank Kanye for that. No, I don't think so. I don't think so. so. We said that. He, I was like, really? Like so ben, Benny's batting a thousand. Still, yeah. Benny's batting a thousand, but so is Push. For sure, for sure. Like what we what, uh, like, we what we got what we got as far as that what Wrath Ray, Ray of Cain, what else? Uh, Fear of God, uh-huh. one Fear and God, two. Yeah. Fear of God. Uh, my name is my name. Uh, Those are dark, all crazy to me. Dark, darkest By the way, before dawn. Yeah, and, and that's not even counting the mixtapes. <laughs> You know, you know what I'm saying? Like I just, I, I like I was surprised, and it's not like again, this ain't a knock on Benny. It's like Duncan it's Robinson just, saying he better than Clay Thompson. Family, yeah, yeah. For like sure. okay, nah, you had a, nah, you had a nah, high year. Nah, nah, nah. No, no, but you can't Durf. give Benny Duncan Robinson. That's no shot at him either, though. No, I'm just it, talking about the timing of it, of how people are you. jumping out their neck. You feel me? Like I got you. Where you can like where people see Duncan Robinson relocating off of fake, then getting a handoff, and they're like he's a pure shooter. Plus, he came from the gutter on some D3 shit out of nowhere. That's how I'm yeah. comparing Benny. Not right. on some like, oh, he is Duncan Robinson. I'm saying that how people were like, he was the topic of discussion. But after the Lakers lost, everybody had jokes. But when he was making right. shots, niggas was like, he's elite. oh, he's a lead shooter. This is what it yeah, do. Look at the relocation. Da, da, da. Yeah. When you look at a nigga like Clay, who got a real burner and can give <laughs> you some of that, whatever he won't. And that's like pusher, bro. You, this is the nigga who actually cut the boy. The boy ain't never been cut. He been walking around here, got Diddy over here stuttering. He got a nigga, everybody and their mama like, I ain't really say nothing. But the boy with the braids came and hollered at him, cut him. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Show blood. You got to put, you got to keep him up there. We not going to get disrespectful, man. Not to the Pyrex pot. Yeah. I feel like he gets disrespected though. Like I feel oh, like one hundred. I think that's the but push. I, shit is to just disrespect. But I really, honestly think the reason why the disrespect is is because it's him and Drake. You put him with another rapper because you you got to think about it. I mean, and I know you're about mm-hmm. to make that face, but I'm saying Drake makes songs. Pusher yeah, makes no. stuff that no, but I'm just saying yeah. since they battled, yeah. that's why the that's why the comparison that's, is so no, hard. absolutely, yeah. absolutely. You got you got a lot of residual kind of people because they like Drake. They don't like what Pusher did in terms of like revealing personal stuff about him or whatever, which is hip hop. I mean, yeah, exactly. That's the battle. But again, Drake isn't a battle rapper, right? Like if you if you're a fan of for most not everyone, but for most fans of Drake. They don't come from that world where right. that shit happens, where niggas will say whatever. And so it's like, oh my gosh, he said something about, oh yeah, that's like you said, that's rap. That's that's what you do, but not in that world, right? And that's not a knock on Drake. I'm just saying his fans are not accustomed to the customs of someone like Pusha. The ironic part is I look at Pusha, this, uh, Pusha and uh, Benny in the same way in that Pusha has songs that you, you hear in a club, right? Like he's got songs that, Girls know, 
Benny, like I respect the music. I'm glad I like you said that. But I'm glad you, know, like, you said that, that because it was a calm, it was a it was an uproar that a chick complained and said he had the nerve to play Benny the Butcher. So let, that's what, so that's what I wanted to lead to right here. So bamboozle, how many times? This is not a a, a measurement of your respect or your liking of this dude's music. Right. This is just you as a DJ. You're DJing a party. How many times do you think you played a Benny the Butcher track in the club or at a party? Now, I mean, because of the pandemic and we're not in any nightclubs, I just played Fair. on Friday and I okay. did play two Benny the Butcher tracks, you know? I okay. played Famous, the joint from Mr. and I played the last song on his track, Legend. Now, I played probably okay. four or five Pusher tracks too, you know what I mean? So, and it was for a whole bunch of like diverse crowd in the Lakers. So it's different than going to Las Vegas. You're not playing any Benny the Booker songs in Las Vegas. It's not right. happening. You know what I mean? The crowd, the diversity is not happening that way. But everybody wants to hear Don't Like. Any night, any club you go to, push your T, everyone's trying to hear Don't Like. Everyone wants to hear that, you know? And so, and if you go back and you're doing like an old school set, people want to hear grinding. I don't care where you're at, you know? And so, and that's another thing we haven't talked about. Classic songs, Benny the Butcher doesn't have one yet because he's not, he hasn't been around long enough. Grinding is going to be played for the rest of our lives for our kids, kids, kids. You know, so. Yo, I I think I think Benny could do a. I I, I think Benny could make a uh, can make a track that could potentially get like those type spins. Maybe not classic level. Yeah. But I think he made an attempt at it with 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 Legend. Uh huh. It's just not it's just not there yet. You know what I mean? Like he hasn't fully committed to to doing that. And I, I don't necessarily even think it's selling out. Like. I don't it's, think so either. You're getting the money. Like that's another. That's more money that you can have, and then you still give us give it for the streets. Right. Like the, Benny has, Benny has probably the. It's it's to me. It's my might be my favorite. I could be in the moment, but it might be my favorite album that I'm thinking of right now. Also, I don't even remember the the year. So I don't know what really came out because this whole thing is a blur with 2020. But all the time in my head, like Benny probably has the best project up there with probably the Nas joint. No, this right year, now right. to me, as far as like, I, no, I yeah, agree. of I this agree. year. 100%. I agree. So, so I it's, agree. it's a dope album. Like no shots at Benny. He's just not on Push's level. Right. Not yet. And then he has a chance to make the run. But I think like you were talking about before, if you ever seen somebody get in a fight before and the dude kicks him. He's like, yo, he kicked me. He's like, bro, you can do anything in the fight. As long as you win the fight, no one's going to be like, yo, who did you win? Yeah, I lost, but homeboy kicked me in the face. Okay, man, next time block. You know what I mean? And so, like, that's how it is when the battle rap, and that's how it is with these projects. And I think Benny making a verse or in, a, in an album so good, he's now on the radar. Yeah. What's next? You know what I mean? That's that. Because if we would have ranked everybody after two, three albums, 50 Cent might be one of the greatest ever because when he came out with Get Rich, Die Trying, they were like, yo, fam, this is crazy, you know? Right. And so you just got to see now. I think, I, see. I think the words not yet is definitely the the part, by the way. And by, by the way, Jerv, you'll remember this. This isn't that dissimilar from the conversation we had about Nipsey. So right. way back, Very way much. back, uh, Bamboozle, when the All-Star game was in L.A., okay. uh, we had a conversation on this pod where were we arguing that there, I don't know if you remember all the musical acts weren't really LA acts. It was like Pharrell. It was like big national acts, right? People were upset. Yeah. People were upset. And so Trey, and I, I wish he was on right now or, or here he comes back. Yeah. So, no, so he's back. He's back. Trey at the time was like, yo, they should have Nipsey out there. And I'm like, you can't, you can't have someone that nobody's heard of. And I'm not talking about nobody like us, young black people who listen to this music, the all-star game. It's a bunch of white people, a bunch of bobs from marketing that work at Gatorade and Nike and da da da. And so if you bring out Nipsey Hustle, you're gonna get a bunch of people in that arena and a bunch of white people calling uh, like sponsors calling the NBA, like, who the hell was that? What was that about? In, in a way that, you know, obviously Pharrell is has a level of of um kind of fame or notoriety. And then obviously Nip. His career started growing, 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 and then he passes away, and then we got an explosion and interest in his music and his message, and now he's become the mainstream artist, and I get all these people, oh, I thought you said he would never, I'm like, I'd never say he'd never be, I just said at that moment, he wasn't ready for that, because, not because he wasn't ready, but because by virtue of his discography, 
and the crowd you're playing to, they just don't know. I feel like it's a very similar conversation. Benny the Butcher's a great rapper, and he puts out quality music. But right now, he's not a guy that you could play, like you said, for a Vegas club in a way that you can play Pusha, right? Right. Now, in two, three years, now starting with this album here and moving forward, and as he continues to refine his sound and start to make music that is more kind of party-friendly, I think you could see it. But right now, that's my thing. That's why I put Push over him, because right now, he's more developed than, than Benny is. Absolutely. And I think that with the discussion that you guys were having about Los Angeles and guys like yourself and guys like me, we've been put into positions to introduce them in the correct way so they can be comfortable and they can the public can receive them the correct way. So when I do go to Vegas and I do play Benny the Butcher and I remix it with something, I can introduce him in a mm-hmm. way that people can hear him and say, you know what, when I hear him later on in life, I heard him in Vegas. Yeah. And with Nipsey Hussle, I think that they should have done that in Los Angeles, but just introduce him the right way. Maybe Pharrell on stage, Nipsey Hussle pop up with a feature, cool. Now we see something of representation from Los Angeles, and then later on in life we can understand it. But when people say, don't bring him out or don't do this, like if it's not people like you or like me, how are they gonna? the public going to receive this? Because we are all fiends. And at some point, people are going to say, oh, I think Nipsey Hussle is cool because LeBron's wearing a Crenshaw shirt. Or white guys at home are going to say, oh, I heard being the butcher because I went to a club with Bamboozle at this club. You know what I mean? So if we introduce them the right way, then the public will receive them with open arms as well. Absolutely. That's fair. See, I was just riding a hot hand because all my life had just rolled out. I watched right. him perform it live in BET. And yep. when we just had had the conversation, I was like, yo. Because I am i wasn't even like a crazy Nipsey fan. My whole thing was, was like, I watched this dude perform in front of a big arena. And this new single that would have been kind of like transitioning into it. Because it was yeah. right during that time of it would have been, you know, the all LA All-Star. It would have did just because it ended up getting played all through the finals after after the, you know, after the situation, because this is the same time he slapped the uh, security guard. Right, right, right. Okay. And during that time, it was just so crazy because I was just like, I was dying on a hill for it because I was just like, yo, this is a big record and it's in the city. But I mean, you know, it explained it to me like that, again, you have to, and, and, and I'm understanding a little bit more as, as the years have went by on a scenario of like, it's just not for, I mean, don't think of it just for you. It, there's there's more range of fans than right. what it is. Especially, you know what I'm saying? Especially because that's a DJ mentality though, too, because you can't go to a club and play music just for me. I'm playing yeah. for everybody. But I remember the first time I heard uh, the self-entitled track, Take Care, on Drake's album. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yo, all this other shit is crazy. Like, Take Care is just dope. And then I get to him and Rihanna, and I didn't really fuck with it until I actually heard it on and on Vegas night, like New Year's. And I was like, oh. yo, this shit is crazy. It's a different feel. You oh. know what I mean? What you have to be in no situation. But I'm seeing that it's black people, it's Indian people, it's white people, it's Asian people. You know, anybody is fucking with this song at this point. And then you don't add drugs into it, and then it just, gets, <laughs> it just, goes, it just goes skyrocket. So I, I totally get it when you say, you know what, that album is kind of trash. Or you say, why that guy's going techno? Or why that guy is doing pop? You know, it's bigger than you. You're showing your range. So when you think of a guy like Usher, you think about a guy named Chris Walker. Brown, you think about all those dudes, man. He playing EDM and shit. It's yeah. bigger than us. We can't just say, oh, that shit trash. Or he's, you know, in that situation because they got money. They, that's how they going to play long term right. 20 years from now. And they get booked in Sweden and get booked in, sure. you know, all right. these other places because they have a range of catalog. And then right. you can play to your diehard fans like, oh, yeah, I'm going to play this song that if you're a real one and you've been <laughs> down with me since I was, you know, that whole skinny black shit from. Right. And yeah. you can say with Waka and Little John did the same thing. They said, yeah. hey, listen, I hear you guys. I got to go get this money, you know. And so but I think this only happens really with like black people, to be honest with you. I'm not trying to make it like a whole <laughs> like race conversation. But like think of a song that comes out tomorrow from like a white group from like. They're playing that song right away on the primetime spot. We've never heard of these people performing. We've right. never seen them. And they're pushing it on us. You know what I mean? You look at your iPhone, you're like, who is this person's record on my iPhone already? <laughs> Why is this person here? We don't get that with, like, the Nipsey's. We don't get that with Benny the Butcher. They didn't That's tell us point. that the album was coming out. They didn't automatically put it on their iPhone, you know? 
That's so, a good point. I still don't know who Bonnie Iver is, man. I hear about these <laughs> motherfuckers, but I ain't never heard one song. That's a good point, man. I, right. You know what? I stand corrected. Yeah, because they do do that shit. I, I've watched, like, you know, All-Star Weekend, the one in Denver, I want to say. I was like, I don't know who any of these people are. We don't. But, but you know. It is but it's, it our, it's the players playing. It's our families. It's, you know, everybody there at the game. We're repping for all the people that are right. hooping. But we can't have one type of representation for music. And then when it is, we got to say, ah, yeah. nobody knows who Benny the Butcher is. So, nah, put them on right now because they're going to follow our lead, you know? Right, right, right. That's a good yeah. point, man. All right, y'all, y'all got me. <laughs> I felt pretty strongly about this, but my mind has been changed. So, Bamboozle, you played all over the country. You played all over the world. I'm going to ask you a couple questions. So, favorite place to play uh, in the U.S., not counting San Diego? We gotta go and live Miami. It's a it's a amazing spot. It's a DJ's dream. When you start DJing, you want to get to that. That's like the mecca for me, and it's amazing. Live Miami, best place in the United States, easily. Most underrated spot. So not not Miami, not Vegas, not LA. It's got to be a city like oh, where to get Arizona? Is Scottsdale underrated? I feel like Scottsdale ain't underrated city in America by far. By far. People don't know about it. They say, what? Scottsdale. But if you live on the East Coast, you, you've never had a chance to go to Scottsdale. Right. Really. But Scottsdale is by far the most underrated city in America. The pandemic exposed it. For, for sure. sure. For yeah. sure. Yeah. Like, when everything else was <laughs> shut down, everybody came to the city. I was like. Every athlete was there. House. I go. Yeah. I'm not coming outside. Yeah. Crazy. <laughs> All right. Internationally, favorite place to play internationally? internationally wow i would have to go with australia sydney sydney australia that's the best place what what made it like just the crowd was a good vibe or what was it crowd is a good vibe if you're african-american you should definitely go there if you're african-american and you're a male you should also go there (laughs) it is by far the best place in the world for us to go it's amazing it's the combination between new york la and san diego all put into one and miami all put into one it's tropical uh, big boats, all that, big cars, all that. Amazing. Okay. Worst place you've played after you got good. So none of the ones where... Worst like, place saying, that I've Man. Uh, I'm going to go with Dallas, Texas, to be honest with you. I'm a big Cowboy fan, but it was some hot trash. I'm, I can't even lie to you. It was some what, hot what, trash. Was it just, is again, is it a crowd thing? Or it, like, what is it? I think it's the venues. They don't have a like a primetime mega club. So you're DJing in like bars that are like supposed to be clubs that it's just not a good place for DJs. I would say Dallas, Texas. No. Uh, most surprising celebrity that you met that knew who you were. Hmm. Most surprising celebrity. I'm going to go with Megan, St- Megan the stallion. Whoa. Okay. Megan Tell us about that. Surprised. Yeah, I was surprised. Um, two years ago, three years ago now, I was trying to get signed to Rock Nation. They, one of their guys had heard me DJ. He came to the club on a Friday night. He heard me DJ. I flew to Vegas the next night to DJ, uh, and he happened to be there as well. He said, you're here in San Diego and Vegas? I said, yes, I'm here. So he took my number. He said, I want you to sign with Rock Nation. I'm going to make a call for you. And uh, this Monday when I call you, we're going to do a conference call with Jay Brown, all these people from Rock Nation, and I'm going to tell them you're my guy, and you should sign. I'm thinking like, oh, it's a done deal. I'm going to sign with Rock Nation, you know? And this guy, Nadama Kasu, he's on Rock Nation, so he was like, let's do it. I've never told this story either. So uh, that Monday, I wake up, I pray, I get in the shower. I'm thinking like, oh, man, this is my day. I'll call my mom and say, hey, mom, listen, send her say a prayer for me. I think that I'm going to sign with Rock Nation. Don't tell anybody else, but we'll see what happens. Maybe like 20 minutes before the phone call, I get an email from them on the chain email saying, hey, we don't want this guy. We don't know who he is. We've never heard of him. He doesn't make his own music. Let's just cancel the phone call right now. I'm like, gosh, this is terrible. So fast forward, two years later, I'm DJing for the Lakers. They say, hey, you should go to the Rock Nation brunch. I'm like, all right, cool. I don't know if they want me here, but (laughs) I'm going to pick up an invitation. I pick my invitation up. I get my suit tailored. I go to the brunch. Everyone's there, you know, Memphis Bleak, uh, Dapper Dan, Jay-Z, Des Bryant, Rihanna, everybody's there. I'm taking pictures with everybody. And then I'm sitting at the table with Jay and Des Bryant in their little section, and Megan Stallion walks up. Hey, what's up? Hey, what's up? 
How are you? Good. I seen you. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. Hey, babe. You know what I mean? It was a cool, cool story and a cool, cool time because everybody pretty much knew who I was there. Because the two years, two, three years ago, nobody really knew who I was. Right, right. They don't know who I am now, but I make, I'm, I'm making my way. So it's, it, it, was, it was cool. What's cool. the name of the track? Where can they find it? Show Me Your Heart is on every single digital streaming platform. iTunes, Spotify, Tidal, Amazon Music, Alexa, all that. It's, it's out. And then uh, on the socials, at DJ Bamboozle on everything, right? At DJ Bamboozle on everything, yeah. And this is going to sound stupid, but like, are you playing anything anytime soon? Like, I, I, like again, Scottsdale's open. Are you are you playing anything anytime soon or are you keeping it low for the? I'm keeping it low, man. I'm about to go to Cabo next week. Uh, I'm just going to chill, enjoy the single and uh, just do my thing. And then the new year, when the new year rolls around, I think I'm going to start getting aggressive with the bookings again. This COVID stuff is different, so. Well, damn, man. Let me know if New Year's Eve you anywhere because like I. I, I got you. I need You guys I need all got to pull up. Yes, sir. DJ Bamboozle. There he goes, ladies and gentlemen. Again, I knew him when we was laughing at him, and now he's laughing at me. And I appreciate you guys for having me on. All right. So Dave Chappelle was on uh, David Letterman's Netflix interview series show. It's a great show. He's This is, I think, season three of it. Uh, I haven't seen the other episodes yet, but it's he's got some interesting characters. He's got Pastor Red Hat. He's got Mrs. Red Hat. <laughs> he's got... He's got a bunch of people, but, you know, Dave Chappelle. Dave Chappelle was on there, and as he mentions in the sit-down, he doesn't do interviews. He doesn't like talking about this stuff. It's gut-wrenching, his words, for Dave to talk about some of this stuff. But he did it because he really respects David Letterman, and he remembers they started the, the night by talking about the first time he was on Letterman. And Dave revealed that that first time wasn't actually his first time. His first time was the time before that, but he showed up with jeans and a T-shirt on. And apparently they had a dress code. I did not know they had dress codes for the comedians. So he got bumped with, for someone who had a suit. And then he had to wait till the next time. And, uh, and then they showed the clip. And he, the joke he does is, you know, Washington Square Park had two trees that they used to hang people from back in the day for, you know, for committing crimes. And they hung white people and black people on different trees. <laughs> Which, again is an amazing joke when you think about it. this dude is 20, 21 at the time. He's on, on Letterman doing it. But point being, because of the respect he had for David Letterman, how big that moment was for him, he did this interview. And I thought one of the funny things about this before I pass it off to you guys and hear some of your thoughts was him saying, when I did it, I thought he didn't like me. He saw, he thought David Letterman wasn't rocking with him. And he said it wasn't until years later he rewatched it. And he's like, oh, of course he likes me. It's clear this dude is enjoying himself. But when you're in that moment, sometimes it's hard for you to see kind of the praise that you're getting. So uh, I'm going to open it up to you guys. Uh, Trey, what, what was something that you took away from uh, this interview that you thought was pretty powerful? Man, first of all, Letterman's just dope. I, his, his, his way, how he gives his interviews are just kind of crazy. He gets his guests to loosen up and just be them. And, you know, I, I never really tapped into his, you know, his, his, his night show stuff and, you know, all that stuff, but watching him, you know, I got a chance to watch the Lizzo episode that kind of rolled over on accident and it was actually fire. So, you know what I mean? Like I think his approach on how he has his guests, like, and how he does little things and all that other stuff and how they went to go, you know, look at the water and stuff and try water. And like, that was just fire. Like he was like, Oh man, I'm like blown away. And you know, and he was asking the good questions to get Dave to, you know, cause again, you, you, you think and he pushed that, him. Yeah. By the way, he pushed him. It, like the, when he talked about the pixie sketch, he didn't want to talk about it. Yeah. But Dave had a way of just like, I'm gonna keep pushing on you and, push, and, yeah. and he asked him, "Yo, you do not want to talk about it?" And he's like, "No, we talk about it." So yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he just he has that effect with certain people, and I think that's what you know. That's the level of respect, like you said, that that Dave has for for Dave. You know what I mean? Overall, so um, yeah, it's just overall dope, though, man. Like I was taking so many pointers from him, like in just how his approach and just laid back stuff. So right, yo, um, it does funny that you you're doing that Trey because I I do that too sometimes I watch an interview and I'm like let me like watch the interviewer tactics and I know this is a little bit off topic but I watched that Boosie 
Mike Tyson interview. Oh, Mike Tyson like, is one of the Mike Tyson is becoming one of the best right now, bro. Yeah. But you know why? Like, I figured out why. Like, he asked really good questions. But also, he can ask these questions. Ain't nobody going to say shit. And ain't nobody going to say something. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like, like, hey, man, you can't ask me that. Like, but he, you know, my, my. I feel like he asked the parent questions, though. No, he, he you, asked great questions. But I'm, what I mean by the parent question, though, is like, so what are you going to do in five years? And, you know, yeah. those type oh, of yeah. questions where you're like, nigga, five years is broad. Like, I can do whatever. Yeah. So when he was asking Boosie, like, yeah, I know you're like, why are you? Yeah, like, why are you this way? Why are you this way? And this nigga was really fumbling his words, you know, because any, anybody else with that academics, he beat them the fuck up or yeah. some other shit. So with Mike, it's just a sign of respect, but also the sign of fear that he brings to men. Oh, like, man. And he's also like. I was a demon. Like, you don't know, you don't, you're not in my world when it comes to my demons. He said that. And the other thing he said was, oh, growing up, I, I turned I this Iron Mike facade, like, I, I turned into a not nice person. But the thing is, the way he talks is everything's in a whisper. So it makes you even feel like, yo, this nigga's about to kill somebody right now. So he actually no, asked Boosie, he's the yo, are you gay? Bigger. Like, in my head, if I've ever like, got close to Mike Tyson, I feel like this nigga would take a raw fish that he's pulled out of the fucking water and the shit is wiggling and he just bites the entire head off my nigga. Yeah. Like he's that type of wild nigga to me. Like I feel like, and I got Mike Tyson tattooed on me. I got the punch on Mike Tyson, right? I feel like he asked yeah. me like, why the fuck did you get that? Why the fuck did you get that? <laughs> yeah, that's what he was doing. He was like, why did you do that? Why, why, why are you talking about other people? Why, whose opinion, why does your opinion matter? I was, I mean, they're great questions, but again, I, I don't think, let me just say, don't try this at home. <laughs> don't try to interview tactics at home uh gerb the Chappelle david letterman interview what did you take away you thought that was pretty powerful so i'm i'm just pretty much piggybacking off what trey said i wasn't i'm not i wasn't a nighttime tv show person to begin with i saw a couple letterman joints but his style is just crazy and the way he pushed dave on getting him to answer the uh the question about the uh the skit or whatever that was just you know what i mean like that was just super dope to see, you know, put Dave in that uncomfortable situation. Clearly, he didn't want to talk about it, but he opened him up, made him comfortable to talk about it. And it was good to hear it out of Dave's mouth, you know what I mean? Because we all, I mean, we all were, we all remember that time. So we all heard the the most ridiculous shit that you could possibly imagine the same way. What, what was it? Who was it? D'Angelo? That, that got paid and then just disappeared and all that shit oh, or whatever yeah, the case may yeah, be. Yeah, like, yeah. you know what I mean? We always hear this was up, but you know, it's good to hear it literally come from Dave. You know what I mean? And then, you know, just, to, just to like, I just, I, I think the whole, the whole, the whole like style that he has it with it is just dope too. Like the whole concept of the show, you know what I mean? So it was, it, it was really cool. Um, I'm a fan and, you know, I think he did an amazing job and, and got Dave to tell some truths. Yeah, I think this was the first time Dave Chappelle has ever uh, openly uh, kind of announced that he's Muslim. I, I've known him for years, and, like, I just kind of figured, I don't know, is he a Muslim? Like, Shaq's a Muslim? Like, one of those, like, sometimes I am. <laughs> on Mondays I am, on Tuesdays I'm not. Is he a Muslim like uh, Lupe Fiasco, where he's actually really, really religious? Or, like, Beanie Siegel, really religious, but, like, they for whatever reason... It doesn't come across always as as uh, blatantly. But, you know, he talked about it and I say, he's like, I'm, I'm a Muslim. It's not like I'm good at it. And I was like, yeah, I can, I can, I can relate. <laughs> uh, the other thing that I really like when he talked about, I love being famous. I hate being a celebrity. It says any job that makes you depend on the approval of others for your livelihood is a crazy job. And, uh, you know, I felt that shit, man. I was like, yeah, man. Like that's, that's kind of like what we're doing right now. What I do for ESPN, you know, I want to believe I do the shit because I'd say the things I believe and I say, talk about the things I think are important and all that. But there's an element of knowing like, yo man, if people don't, if enough people don't like me, like that can impact my livelihood, man. And that, that shit, and I don't, I don't know about you guys, but like it does get to me sometimes. I do think about it. At, at one point, I, I was there. I felt like in the transition before I transitioned into another field. Before you became but, money. 
Boy, you got it to this <laughs> money. That's what he just said there, Jer. <laughs> oh, God. Before we became Trey Vine. <laughs> no, black, actually, I'm Trey. I'm Trey now. I'm just Trey. Oh, Trey. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I mean, okay. You, you know, in, in that space, it's like either your name's going to get fucked up or what do you like to be called? Yeah. And I was yeah. like, damn, I could be Trey? <laughs> this, this is great. Oh, yeah, right. yeah, There's yeah. no big Trey. There's yeah. no other Trey no that I have to Yeah, it's just Trey. It's just Trey. But no, when I was, you know, obviously I'm still, I'm still, you know, contributing to the athletic, but it was more so like, you know, when I was thinking of doing and making it a full-time thing, I'm like, well, if I catch a brick, like, you know what I mean? And what I mean right. by that is just like, people are like, like yo, I'm just tired of his takes. Yep. Now what? You know what I mean? The niggas is like, yo, all right, you expendable. That, that's kind of like whack unless, you know what I mean? Because I right. obviously I don't have the, 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 the track record that Amin has, you know what I mean? In a scenario of like, maybe he can go to another or, you know, he can go to another network and be like, well, I did this with this and this versus me. It's right. like, nigga, I'm not a face. I'm a voice. And I don't have radio yeah. experience. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like I did that. Yeah. yeah. I ain't gonna kill my, I ain't kill my <laughs> shit off, but you feel me? Yeah. So I haven't yes, got sir. here, you know, in order. So if somebody was to say, you know what, we're going to make cuts and we're going to do this. And then I say, damn, I can't record no more because people thought my takes were whack or I got a couple of things yeah. wrong. Yeah. Uh, one of the other things he said that I thought felt very relative, re- relevant to what we're doing is, he always had a feeling it could end at any moment. So err on the side of excess, right? Like the idea of like, we just going to go outlandish with it because they're going to take it away at any time anyway. Mm-hmm. And then he said, I didn't trust the circum. The reason why he quit was I didn't trust the circumstances of being that big. So what used to be, and, and Trey, I feel like you and me definitely know this feeling that there was a time on Twitter where you could say some wild ass jokes and people either thought you were funny or they just ignored you. Yeah. And then you reach a point where you have a certain number of followers where you can't do those jokes no more. Oh yeah. I mean, and, and, and it's going to be a great transition into, um, Barat, if it was Barat, where, oh, yeah. you know, the first Barat I would have thought was, you know, obviously if I watched Barat. Barat, Barat now, the sequel, uh, 10 years ago, I would have enjoyed it. But my humor and, and what I'm allowed to laugh at or not even what I'm allowed oh, to really? laugh at. Yeah, it just changed. Like, I don't find it as funny as I probably would have found it a decade ago. You know what I mean? Like, I don't have a kid or I don't have, you know, in that situation. It wasn't like making it seem like. But these are real life situations that we're actually in. And then obviously, you know, the real country don't fuck with him. They were like right. really pissed off about that. Yeah, but yeah. They were. There were sprinkles of shit, but it was like. 28 year old me i mean like 26 year old me would have been busting up like just just dying and it was just really hard for me to get into it maybe just because of the climate and i just didn't feel shit was funny and the message overall because that's kind of like damn these people are actually real people in the world that have real that's yeah yeah i i feel you i feel you like not to, to me, make, that's the not funny to make part. it serious out of it but it was just no like, no no but but no but that's but that's that's the conversation to have about it is that it's funny up until you realize, yo, these are real people. These aren't people, these aren't actors. I mean, he's acting, obviously, and, and the girl that plays his daughter's acting and a couple of other people, but a lot of these people he's interacting with are real people. And so you begin to say, like, on one level, we laugh and ha, 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 they dumbass, but like, yo, there are real people out there who think this way, think this way, and act this way. And uh, what's up, Jerry? Wait, 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 wait. Did you not know this? You thought this was no, just a movie? No, 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 no. Because I saw the first one, so I know. Okay. I, I guess I wanted to believe the Giuliani scene was set was 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 not real, but like if that's real, like I think Bro, should be you was like, not watching that. Huh? How was you watching that? What What was you seeing? No, like it was, it, it was crazy. Like, I, but you didn't know that was real. No, no. I, I'm saying like I know. Because I saw the first movie, I know the whole idea. I I I probably thought like certain aspects were because like, it's just not believable at all to me that this could even happen. So I'm like, yes. this has to be like a movie part. And it's just like, yo, this dude was really a yeah. wild boy. Exactly. Like, I, yeah. Like, did, did I miss that? Like, didn't has that not been so, like so, talked about yet? Like, so Joe, like, like, because a lot of it's been talked about a lot, and a lot of people were like, "Well, he was just taking off his mic, and he was just tucking his shirt." And and so, Jerv, I'm not even gonna talk about me. 
Because, Jerv, you've been in these situations where you're the guy. We're doing an interview, and there's an interviewer and the interview subject, and you're the guy who's clipping the mic, who's fixing the lights, who got the camera, whatever. Have you ever, at the end of the interview, seen them get up and go to a bedroom in order to remove the mic? No, because we just take the mic off right there. Like, there's no reason to go to the bedroom. Have you ever seen them have drinks, alcoholic drinks? Right? (laughs) Like, there's just stuff. I I know people are going to try and make excuses or whatever, but there's just stuff. If you work in TV at all, you know that's not normal. None of that's normal. And and Rudy Giuliani's done enough TV where he knows what's normal and acceptable and what's not. Like, he... Yeah, yeah, he did that. Uh, if you haven't watched Borat, it's fr- it's like free on Amazon Prime. Go ahead, check uh-huh. it out. Watch this dude get interviewed, flirt with old girl, drink. And, and he knows she's young, too, I did by he know, the way. I, like, know, I know at the end, he... Uh, Borat... Bor- okay, well, all right, maybe Borat, he didn't. Bor- so I, I don't want to yeah, put Borat that on jumps it. in and says, she's only... She's too old for you. She's only 50. <laughs> Look, I, yo, I'm just say this, man. Yes, some of the jokes in there are cringeworthy in terms of either problematic or just kind of gross, kind of like younger versions of ourselves humor. But to me, there's two things that I always go back to. One is when he says shit and these people just go along with it, like these are real people. And two, he's in character. So those two guys he lived with, he was living with them for like three or four days, and you can't break character. You can't just be like, all right, I'm going to chill now. He got to be Borat 24 hours a day for three or four days traveling with these people or whatever. But again, like, you, you, you know, he's singing that song, and you see how many people are singing along with him. Chop him off like the Saudis do. Uh, give him the Wuhan flu. Do, uh, put them in the oven like the Germans do. And these people are singing along, man. Like, they're not, like, no one said, yo, whoa, or whatever. This is a rally of these these people who vote for a certain type of guy who looks like a, a, a can of Tang. Uh, that's who they are, man. That's who they are. And if you, if you align, at some point you have to say, I'm aligning myself with people like that. Do I want to be in this party, like this gathering, not party, like political party. Do I want to be in a gathering do I want to go to the club where basically the neo-Nazis show up? Throwing, throwing Hitler nah, salutes. And so that's, to me, that's why I always love Borat. Because for every, the girl has her period fucking joke that he does, that's mad gross or whatever, there's something else in there where it's like, yo, I can't believe he's actually going to go this far with it. And I thought one of the most touching scenes was when he goes into the synagogue and again, he's it's very he's Jewish, so he could do it, but he's got like the big fake nose because he's trying to pretend like he's Jewish. Um, and the lady, rather than yell at him or be like, yeah, like because I would have freaked out if someone came in, obviously mocking my culture and my faith or whatever. And instead she was like very kind of like, yo, touch me. I'm not I'm not an evil person. I'm I'm just like you, da da da. And so I kind of like that. Uh but yo, I love I like Borat, man. That, that that dude's funny. I don't know. So this is what I want to do. Yo, go ahead, I, go ahead. I was gonna say I'll give you the 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 uh the deeper meaning to the movie, but oh, I can't let you man, get it. Man, it was funny. mad funny. Come on, I just come can't on. Let you. When 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 Bro, when I, he goes to the plastic surgeon and the plastic surgeon talks about fixing the nose, and she says, "Why do I have a Jew nose?" And the guy says, "No." And Borat goes, "Oh, oh, thank God." The way he was so relieved, man, that shit was so funny. Again, I'm not supporting anti-Semitism or whatever. I'm just saying this dude plays that character very, very well. I chuckled one time in the movie and I made a note of it. It was when he mentioned it was a joke very early about Obama. I chuckled. But after that, I, I sat there. Come on, man. You ain't, I, I sat you ain't, there. I didn't like the first one either, though. I don't, I don't oh, think I man. laughed at the first one either. What's up, chocolate face? <laughs> you don't know Corky Butcher? Yo, man, like that movie, yo, anything Bora, I'm always here for because part of it is obviously the, the messaging behind it. Part of it is the extreme degree of difficulty. But I laugh at them fucking jokes, man. I don't give a fuck, man. I'm going to be 80 and I'll be laughing at those jokes. 
All right, so this is what I want to do because we're kind of pushing up on time here. We're going to give our Patreons special content. We're going to review Good Lord Bird, another great episode. Harriet Tubman shows up in this one. And we're going to talk about the upcoming T.I. versus Jeezy versus battle. I have a feeling that both Jerv and Trey have strong opinions on who's got the upper hand. So if you are a Patreon, be on the lookout for that episode to come hitting your feed exclusively to you. If you are not a Patreon, patreon.com slash count the dings. Join up. We're starting to vamp up and add more and more content. You're going to start seeing a lot more new stuff over there, exclusive stuff, stuff that only comes to the Patreons, including events like the live show that we had last Wednesday. It was a, a great time. For Big Jerk, for Black Trey, no, no, just Trey now. <laughs> for Trey, for producer Rob Lopez, thank you. Shout out to DJ Bamboozle for joining us. This has been B-O-M-M. Subscribe, like, review, rate, all that good shit. <laughs>